Hello, hello, hello. You got something coming any second. Here it comes. There it is. Hey, folks. Let's gather back together uh, because we do have this family meeting afterward, and there is a Seahawks game, and I want to get to the Seahawks game, as all of you do, I'm sure. It's like, for some people, it's like Jesus and then the Cougars and then the Seahawks, or maybe the Seahawks and then the Cougars, somewhere right in there, but it should at least be after Jesus, right? So we're, we are putting into practice what we preach today, right? We're Jesus first and then football. So that's awesome. You guys are all here now. You're quiet. Yeah. Nobody cheered for Jesus or the Seahawks or the Cougars. That's okay. You can cheer for Jesus if you want. Yeah. All right. Um, before I get started, so we're, we're in a series on parables, right? Um, and we're going to talk about a parable today, and we're going to have the worship talk, actually, <laughs> because it's really important to me. But before I do that, I actually want to introduce a future sermon series. Is that cool with you? I mean, really, I got to do this really fast. So this, uh, I want to say fall, but it's not fall, winter, um, after the Christmas New Year holiday, we're going to do a series. Uh, the pastors came together, or the, not the pastors, but the, the preaching team came together, and we were brainstorming some sermon series and praying, and we really just felt led to do a sermon series on your questions about faith, about God, about how the world works, about having a biblical perspective on things. You know, if there's something in the Bible that just really tweaks your nose, I don't know what else it tweaks, but tweaks your nose or your ears or makes you really unhappy, and you want, like, how could God be this way, or what can we do with that? The pastors and or the preaching team is now nervous because I'm putting it out there, um, and what we have here is this, uh, Sarah made this really awesome box. It is a black box. Don't they have those on airplanes? Did you take this from an airplane? This is the black box from the airplane that went missing years ago. Um, and so what we are going to ask you to do, there'll be little slips of paper with this that says, my question is, or it's okay to ask. She's even got the little slips of paper right there. And, uh, we're going to have this someplace really obvious in the back there. We'll probably put it on a stool. And we're going to ask you to really thoughtfully, thoughtfully, say thoughtfully, thoughtfully. right? N- not rashly or blindly or angrily, thoughtfully ask a question and drop it in the box. I am not going to guarantee that we will answer your question or even have the answers to all the questions because we don't. We're learners here. So these, some of these questions are going to prompt us to learn. Um, they're going to prompt us to think and to think critically and to hear and listen to God, uh, but we're going to do that. And so this is also be a really awesome sermon series to invite your friends to. So if you're like at a coffee shop and your friend's like, I just don't get church because of blah, you could write that down and stick it in the box. And you say, hey, I wrote that question down. And I think in this sermon series, we may answer that question. If you want to put your name on it and we are going to preach on it, I will let you know specifically. Um, that yes, we are definitely going to use that question and there will be a sermon and it'll be like this time frame so that you can invite friends to come and hear it. Does that make sense? So this is all about answering questions. It's all about understanding God, but it's also about like answering the questions that the culture, that, that your friends and neighbors have about Jesus because we believe Jesus is the answer. Do I hear anybody that agrees with that? Like we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and that no man comes to the Father except by him. And so... That's what this is. Any questions? Not yet. You're going to do it thoughtfully. Here's Sarah. So, all right. Yeah, it's not just, yeah, good. That's good. It's not stump the, not stump the pastor. This isn't like trivia night where what was, who was the oldest man in the Old Testament? It's Methuselah. Everybody knows that, right? But yeah, it's not stump the pastor, which, you know, if you, if you want to, that's fine. And we might be. We're really opening ourselves up to a can of worms, aren't we? Like, Audrey's already nervous. He likes sermons that he doesn't have to prepare as much for. Yeah. <laughs> that came out totally wrong, didn't it? That, like, went sideways on me. <sighs> That's the problem with being a public speaker. Yeah, Heidi says, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. I've got to have to totally change my focus. Jesus, I pray that you would uh, just shift our hearts right now. And that we would focus on your word and what you have for us this morning. Um, God, open our eyes um, as your uh, parables call us to, God. May we be people that hear and the people that see spiritual things, things that you are speaking and saying to us this morning. Open our eyes, God, in your name. Everybody said, amen. So, parables. The parables is a series. So this is our third week in the parables. Last week, uh, Grant had a really awesome word from... Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the week before I had the parable of the pearl of great price. 
and I'll reference that a little bit later. And today we're going to be looking at the parable of the rich fool. Is that exciting or what? I love it when they title things in the Bible. So Jesus didn't title his parable. Um, he wasn't running around going, okay, guys, if you're writing this down, this is the parable of the rich fool. Like, don't mix this up. It's not the poor fool or the you know, really smart fool or the rich idiot. It's the rich fool. He wasn't doing that. He was just talking. He was going around. In fact, the context of this parable that we're going to have today, he has actually been out preaching and teaching for days on end and weeks on end, and it's coming after this whole conversation on what it is to be blessed and, and who God is and there's spirits and unclean spirits and there's being aware of like how religion works in our lives like yeast into dough and puffs us up. And he comes to this place and he's going to share this, this parable. And it's prompted, kind of like our little sermon series on questions, by not a question but a, a shouted comment. A shouted comment. So in Luke, which is where we're going to be if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, you hear this word, the crowd, a lot. And the crowd was the people that were following Jesus. He had his disciples. Um, he had his 12 disciples. And then within the 12, he even had three that were his good friends. And he had his 12 disciples. And then there was like a 74 disciples. And then there was the crowd. And Luke actually says that there was thousands following him. And he was so interesting and so fascinating that people were literally trampling one another. That's Luke 12, 1. They were literally trampling one another. And then he speaks to his disciples in the midst of this. So there's this huge crowd, and somebody shouts out to him in the middle of this. And we're going to look at this starting in verse 13. And I'm going to read a fairly long passage, so you're going to hang with me, right? Don't fall asleep, okay? <laughs> Don't fall asleep. Um, you're going to be with me through this. Here we go. So that's the context. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Oh, and by the way, as I read, your job is to notice. Say notice. Poke the person next to you and tell them, notice. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm helping you stay awake. You're going to notice. You're not going to interpret. Say, not going to interpret. That means you're not going to jump to, what does this mean for me? You're going to notice. Say, notice. You're with me now. You're going to notice what's going on in the passage. Look for repeating words. Look for uh, who is there, who is present, what's going on around them. Uh, we're going to look at, hear what this was saying to the people that God was speaking it to then. When Jesus was speaking to the crowd, what was it saying? And then we're going to go to interpretation, and that's where I'll go afterward, okay? So notice, here we go, Luke 13, 12 through 34, and I'm going to read it from my iPad where I put it down here on the page. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's awkward and out of place, right? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus, he said to him, man, because that's how Jesus would talk, right? <laughs> man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, so now Jesus changes focus. So first it's to the, the man who shouted this. And now he says to them, the disciples, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Anybody want to try to say that five times fast? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. Here we get to the parable. Saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for, you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But, everybody say but. Well, you said but. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? So it is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? That's our parable. That's the parable we're going to talk about today. And there's all kinds of cool things going on in here. But one of the things that makes this parable super unique is that Jesus tells the parable, and this is one of the rare times where he turns around and applies the parable. He doesn't just explain it. 
He applies it for us. So I'm going to keep reading, and I'm going to read his application of his parable. So Jesus is just telling the guy straight out, this is what the parable not just means, but this is how it works in your life. And he said to his disciples, and be on the guard, there's like three of the biggest, most important Bible verses are right here, things you're going to recognize. He says this to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, turn page, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. I just lost my spot. There it is. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Say, I need them. He knows that you need them. Instead, seek first His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus gives several commands here in this. And so I had like a whole sermon worked out last night, and I woke up this morning, and I just thought about the passage again, and Jesus goes, oh, here it is. It's, it's just three things. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Seek his kingdom. Fear not. Don't be anxious. Seek his kingdom and fear not. This is what we want to talk about today, all in the context of worship. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Aren't you guys like, wait, well, hey, how can you do that? Well, I don't know. We're going to find out. Don't be anxious. I mean, you guys are familiar with that verse. Don't be anxious. We read it typically from Philippians. We don't really think about Jesus telling us this. This gives it some, some, some weight, right? Paul, he was a pretty smart guy. He was a disciple. He was appointed by Jesus. He wrote like half the New Testament. Pretty important figure. He says, don't be anxious, but in everything, with prayer and petition, present your needs to God, right? But Jesus says just flat out, don't be anxious, O ye of little faith. Don't be anxious, little flock. What does anxiety feel like for us? You thought about that? Anxiety, it's, for me, it feels like it's like a weight on my shoulders. You get that tension up in your neck. You, get, you can feel like your plate is just too full. And I'm not talking about the plate of the buffet line. I'm talking about your plate of your life, right? We're talking about all the things you got to do, all the people that want something from you or need something from you. The plate is so full, and yet there's not enough time to do it all. You're constantly juggling. That's what anxiety feels like. Your mind, it moves at 100 miles an hour all the time, especially at night. Many of us have a hard time sleeping because we're so anxious. We medicate because of it. We look for ways to get our brain and our mind and our breathing to slow down. Some of us turn to like meditation and yoga and we turn to, to mindfulness. That's kind of the Eastern spiritual way of doing things. Some of us turn to things like television. You know, we, we binge watch Game of Thrones or we binge watch, I'm like trying to think of names of things that people binge watch. I, I, that's the only name that came to mind. Somebody else shout a name of a binge watch show. Friends. Still binge watching that? Are we serious? This is us. I don't even know that one. The Office is another binge watch show. Oh my gosh. So people are starting to go, oh, hey, wait a minute. We, we watch these things to get our mind off of the things that are driving our anxiety. Some of us turn to food. 
You know, we, we eat to feel better. We eat to fill that hole that's inside us, that emptiness that's in there. And we focus on what we taste. Some of us turn to, to drugs, to literal medication like marijuana and pot, which we've legalized. Our culture is driven by anxiety. And then we've legalized this medication that causes us to like, whew, now I can chill finally. Now, that's a great thing that it causes you to chill. It's a great thing that television can allow your mind to slow it down. It's a great thing that food can do these things for us. But when we're using them to get us to just slow down and not focusing on Jesus, which is what this is going to ask us to do in a minute, then it's sin and it is out of control. Anxiety also feels like uh, that our life is so out of control that we don't have time to do the most important things. So we start to skim on our relationship with God. If you're a follower of Jesus, the most important calling you have is to a relationship with Him. Now, we often think, oh, I've got a relationship with God. I come to church on Sunday. Or actually, in this culture, they say that the average church attendance today is once a month to one thing, and that is for a Christian believer who is investing in his or her faith and feels like they are the core of a church community. That means, I'm going to come to the potluck this month. That's what I'm going to come to. That's my one thing. Or I'm going to join a Bible study, and I'm going to make it once a month. Or I'm going to come to church and just be there once a month. I don't know about you, but if I was to just breathe once a month, I wouldn't be doing real well at the end of the month, right? If I was to eat just once a month, at the end of the month, I'd be much more skinny than I am now, and I wouldn't be moving real fast, and I'd probably be a little crabby, right? If I was to drink water once a month, I'd be dead. Our faith is the same way. We just do once a month. So we start, we get this anxiety that's out of control in our lives. These, all these things that are calling us to do stuff and to be stuff and to find stuff. We need to earn money. We need to work more. We need to get our degree. We need to, we need to, to invest our time in our degree so that we can get down the line. And this anxiety is driving us. And so, oh, I don't have time for Jesus today. I don't have time to make it to church this week. I can't make it to Bible study tonight. I've got to do these other things. Anxiety. Anxiety is absolutely normal in our culture. It is. The most underlined verse in the whole Bible in the Kindle Reader Edition, you know what it is? Be anxious for nothing. The most underlined verse in the whole Bible. Teens today, this is some statistics that we heard from our uh, denominational leader recently. Um, his, he said this, he said, the teens today deal with a level of anxiety that in the 1950s would have hospitalized you. So what they're saying is like, if they were to sit down with you and you were exhibiting the signs of anxiety that the average teenager, that is Addie and Emma and their friends, and the things that they're exhibiting, they would have taken them and put them in a mental hospital. Electroshock therapy, gosh. Man, that's scary, right? Get this, the World Health Organization says that it's actually, it's not because we're poor, it's because we're wealthy as a country that we're experiencing this. They've looked at nations across the world and looked at their anxiety level. And they found that the U.S. has one of the highest anxiety rates in the world as compared to countries like Lebanon, Syria, the Ukraine, and Nigeria. Okay, those are not safe places. Those are not places where you know that you're going to have food tomorrow all the time or that you're going to be alive tomorrow. And yet we are more anxious than them. We are more secure than them. We are more fed than them. We have more money than them. We have more power and authority than them. And yet, we are anxious. Anxiety is normal in the kingdom of men. But in the kingdom of God, it is never normal. That's why Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Just think about it. Like, uh, so this is another thing that Randy Remington, he's, a, he's the leader of our denomination now. Um, he said this. He just, I've never heard anybody say this before, so I have to give him credit because it's such an original idea. He goes, just imagine yourself right now that you're God. You're, you're, you're just sitting in the place of God. He's not asking you to make a decision or anything. Okay? You don't have to make anything happen. But you're God. You have no rivals. There is nobody that can stand up to you. You have, you have no worries. You know what is going to happen tomorrow and the next day. You don't worry about where provision's going to come from because all provision comes from you. You're not concerned about what people think about you because you're content in yourself. You're not lonely because you are in perfect relationship with yourself and with others around you. Imagine being God. 
how would you feel? At peace. Because he is the God of peace, right? God is the God of peace. That's what it says over and over again. In, in, the, in the book of Isaiah, when Jesus is being prophesied coming, he's prophesied as the prince of peace, right? The prince of peace. God is a God of peace. In God's kingdom, anxiety does not exist. So whenever we're experiencing anxiety, what we're experiencing is life outside the kingdom, not life inside the kingdom. That's not to say that hard things don't come. That's not to say that there are not pressures. It's not to say that there aren't mental illnesses that cause anxiety. But when you are experiencing anxiety, when you are experiencing the pressure, when you're experiencing the tension, when you're experiencing, I don't have time, I have to skim on my time with God, you are not experiencing the kingdom of God. You are experiencing the kingdom of earth or even, some might say, the kingdom of hell. Because anxiety is hell on earth, isn't it? It is. It is hell on earth. So when we experience anxiety of any kind, we need to ask, what of this stuff that is in me is not under the rule of the kingdom of God? What is not submitted to Jesus? What has not been placed in his care? The king of peace, the prince of peace. What is not, what of his peace isn't living in me? Jesus warns about us getting stuck in the place of the rich fool. That rich fool was anxious. It doesn't say he was anxious about these things. He says, he thought to himself, what am I going to do with all this stuff I have? What am I going to do with it? How am I going to take care of it? And he ponders and he dreams and he thinks and he worries and he worries until he comes up with a great idea. I know, I'll tear all my barns down and I'll make bigger ones and I can hold it all. And then I will say to my soul, I love those soul conversations. Do you guys ever have one of those? You like talk to your soul. You're like, soul, knock it off. Soul, this is not okay. And his, he's like, soul, once we've done this, then we can rest. Oh man, that's the message in anxiety, isn't it? Once I got it all done, then I can slow down. Once I've accomplished this degree, then I can rest. Once I have this amount of money in my bank account, then I can start giving. Once I have this much money in my bank account, then I can get married or have children. We're like preparing for things. And you know what? You're never ready. There's no amount of money that ever prepares you for these things. And money, tithing and giving isn't about how much you have, but it's about the position of your heart, which we're going to talk about in a minute. I'm preaching now. Jeez. Look at me go. But keep going. So Jesus warns us about getting stuck in this place of anxiety. And he also points out that one of the things that really drives our anxiety, especially in a wealthy culture like ours, and some of you are going, I'm not wealthy. Let me tell you, you are rich. Even the poorest person in this room is rich compared to the rest of the world, okay? No house, no room, you're couch surfing, you've got more than like 90% of the world. We are rich. And God says, Jesus says to us, hey, don't get caught in coveting what you don't have. Covetousness. Be aware, be, be uh, we got to look back at the exact wording he said. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That's a hard word to say. Don't covet. Coveting, coveting is aiming your life and effort and will toward achieving or receiving or getting things that God has not given you. Coveting is where I want what God has but has not given me. And not just wanting it, but allowing that to drive your life. Allowing that to drive your ambition. And that's where our anxiety comes in. That anxiety of, I got to get it. I got to work hard. I got to do more. We become anxious, focusing our life on what God isn't giving us. He's asking us to look at where our eyes are focused. And remember, I started that worship song this morning. Talking about, like, I'm like, I got my eyes on Jesus. We sang it last Sunday, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Got my eyes on Jesus. There's my to-do list over there. I see it. Okay, my face is now turned toward my to-do list. If you're listening online, I'm doing something interesting. But my eyes are on Jesus. Uh Uh-oh, somebody's sick. Now my head is turned and my eyes are not on. (laughs) That's funny. I just looked at somebody who's been sick. (laughs) That was an accident, but it was really good. 
Uh-oh, uh-oh, there's somebody that needs my time and attention. Uh-oh, uh-oh, I've got a task at home I got to get done. Oh, shoot, it's 3 o'clock, I got to go run and get the kids. Uh-oh, a lamb died. Uh-oh, I've got, you know, I'm like, things that I know about people's lives, right? We've got all of these things going on, and before I know it, it's Tuesday afternoon, and Sunday my eyes were on Jesus, but Tuesday afternoon I'm looking at everything that is going around me, and guess what I feel? Anxious. Anxious. Jesus is saying, where's your focus? Keep your eyes and your attention on God. Focus on the things that that are of, of, of heaven, not of earth. Because when we're focused on our abundance or our lack... We become anxious. He's not saying don't work. Some people have interpreted this passage to be like, right, so we, know, we don't need to work. We don't need to worry about our clothes. We can just dress like John the Baptist, who is probably one of the weirdest characters in the whole Bible, eating locusts and honey and wearing camel hair coats. Very uncomfortable, I would imagine. He's not saying don't put effort into providing for your family. He's saying that that isn't the focus of your life, that your first and primary calling is to keep your eyes on Jesus and to follow him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And the rest of this is going to be added to you, which is the second part. So the first is don't be anxious. Church, don't be anxious. I love Jesus' oh, little flock, don't be anxious. Oh, ye of little faith. It's like, that sounds like an accusation, but it's a term of endearment, okay? He's just like, it's like, oh, little poppy. You know, oh, oh, little poppet. Oh, little, you know, but it's like, oh, but there's a truth. I don't have very much faith. Don't be anxious. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom. Takes us back to that parable of the pearl, right? That this is thing that is so valuable that it is worth my whole life. It's worth selling everything. It's worth giving up everything to go after, to get it. And it changes my identity because I don't have any money anymore. I don't have any possessions anymore. All I have is the pearl. I, I don't have a job. I don't have a title. All I have is the pearl. The kingdom of God is the pearl. And so are you, and so is Jesus. The pearl of great price changes everything. In the story, in this parable, this rich, young, this, rich, this rich fool, this rich man, did you catch where his focus was? It wasn't even just on his possessions. He, he used this word in there like several times. He used, if you were looking for encircling, repeating words, you probably circled me, 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 mine, my soul, my possessions, my barns. He had the vocabulary of a three-year-old. Sorry, three-year-olds. I don't like throwing you under the bus. Okay, we'll go with, we'll go with Nemo's seagulls. You guys know the seagulls? Mine, 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 right? His focus and attention was not even just on his stuff, but on me, mine, I. We are focused on me, me, mine so often. Our whole culture drives us toward this, right? How you look, what you wear, what you have, where you fit in a room and in a society and in a group, what your position is, who's in the pecking order, what degree you have, what job you have, about you. And then you watch television and they tell you it's all about you, feeling good, looking good, getting Botox injections, which makes your face not feel at all, but it puffs it up. I mean, all of these things is about me, 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 and what I can have and what I can achieve and what I can experience in life. And God, Jesus just says flat out, go and don't seek after that stuff. It's going to create anxiety and you're not going to see me. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Seek the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be added to you. They'll come in their time. They'll come when you're ready. They'll come at your need. The kingdom will provide for everything. We focus on what we don't have or what may not have. We covet what God has not given us. And we fall back into anxiety. And it says that worry has never added a single moment to any of our lives. I wish it had because I would live to be really old. How many of you, if, if worry added to your life, how many of you would be really old someday? Yeah. Uh, yeah, some of you are not admitting it, I know. All of us have worried. And so, he changes the conversation for us. He changes the conversation for us. And it's in that soul conversation the man has. He says, well, I'll fix that. I'll fix those barns. I'll make those barns bigger. And then I'll say to my soul, soul, finally you've earned your rest. Finally you can eat and you can drink and you can be merry. And then it says, but... But, 
and he turns our attention from what's going on in this man's life to what's happening in heaven. And this is something that's awkward and uncomfortable for us to talk about because heaven is something that we don't see. But there is a kingdom of heaven. And in this moment, God says to the man, you fool. And he's not, he's not saying it in anger. He's just saying, you, you missed it. You lost, you fool. You've spent all of this time worrying and anxious and, and building and, and stressing and you're rich on earth and you've got everything you could ever want and you've missed me. Tonight, your soul is required for, of you. You are going to die. Get this. Uh, how many of you like statistics? I like statistics. You know why I like statistics? Because they turn numbers into pie. Think about that for a second. It's like pigs. They turn vegetables into bacon. Both of them are miracles. You with me? You're really pondering this. This is a deep, deep thought, isn't it? Statistics turn numbers into pie. And here is a statistic that I heard recently that I was just so impressed by. There is a 100% chance that we are all going to die. Guaranteed. Yep, there's a 100% chance. And the man in this moment, with all of his wealth and all of his positions, power, degrees, whatever his treasures are, his soul has been required of him, and he's invested so much in his treasures on earth that he's not invested in his relationship with God. And guess what? He's not with God anymore. There's a 100% chance that we will all find ourselves in this position, that we will stand before God someday and give an account, not just of what good things we did, but of our relationship with him. And I want you to know this, that you can go to heaven without health. In fact, most of us will, right? Most people aren't healthy when they die. Most people. Some people are. We can go to heaven without health. We can go to heaven without money. We can go to heaven without any fame. We can go to heaven without any learning. We can be as dumb as a stump and get into the kingdom of heaven. That's only funny because we're in a university town, right? Everybody's like, stumps? Those guys are really dumb, you know? We can. we can. We can have no car, no bank account, no degree, no social security number, no American citizenship. You can have a 10 million, are you missing 10 million things in your life? You can have no culture. You could be a, you know, uncultured swine. You could, you could, you could be, have no beauty. You could be, you know, that person that climbed up the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down, and it just, you could be super ugly. You could have absolutely no friends in life. You could have no love from any human being on earth, and you can still go to heaven, but you can never, ever go there without Jesus. Oh, poop. But I want all those other things. I want all those other things. And so Jesus says, seek his kingdom. Be aware of where your eyes are. Be aware of what your focus is. Be aware of what you want. Want his kingdom more than all of these things. Those things are going to be, God knows you need them, right? God knows you need love. God knows you need a hamburger occasionally. God knows, humble burger anyone, right? It's kingdom of heaven right there, I'm telling you. You haven't eaten there, you need to go get one. God knows that you need a roof over your head. God knows that you don't want to starve, but he knows you need him even more than these things. Seek his kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. Lastly, this, fear not. Fear not. Because you can have the kingdom of God. He says, in the midst of all of this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. We can't add any time to our lives by worrying in fact, medicine shows us that it's exactly the opposite. When we worry, when we stress, when we're striving and seeking, and it's actually worse for us than smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. And I'm not telling you to go smoke two packs of cigarettes today <laughs> in order to not be anxious. It's not a trade-off, okay? It's, it's both. Don't smoke and don't worry. And this is not just about heaven, Right? It's not just about someday your soul is going to be required for you. He points out that like in the here and now, God is and will provide for us. 
when we're seeking and striving and running and fearing what we don't have, we miss the provision that God's given us. We miss what He's placed right before us, and, and we miss that God is actually rich toward us. We're like, oh, I'm so poor. Oh, I'm so, I'm so this. I'm so sick. I'm so, I'm so hurting. I'm like, people have said something to me, and my soul is just hurt. And we, we, we focus on the negative. We are Eeyore, right? This is like my life story. Focus, oh, I'm so sad and lonely. And we, we live in this place where we see what we don't have. We see our lack, and we miss the provision of God. We miss the goodness. God is rich toward us. He says, think about this. Think about the ravens. Perhaps the second most annoying bird on the planet, the first being the magpie. If you've ever been camping in the Northwest, Jesus hadn't been, okay? Jesus never camped in the Northwest, so he probably didn't, you know, consider the, consider the magpies. They get up at three o'clock in the morning and they wake everybody up and nobody loves them. They don't plant anything. They're, they're rats with wings. And yet, God provides for them. They eat. They don't store anything. They don't work. They provide. They, they give us nothing. Magpies give us nothing. And yet, God cares for them. How much more does he care about you than a magpie? Can I just tell you, you may be saying right now, I don't know, maybe not much. But God cares for you a lot more than he cares about magpies. Have you ever seen one on the highway, dead on the side, right? Jesus says that God sees even the sparrows fall. God sees the death of even that magpie and cares. How much more does he care for you? Consider the flowers in the fields, lilies. I've never seen lilies in a field, but I've seen all kinds of wildflowers. And they're beautiful. And not a single one of them shops at Gucci. Not a single one of them buys Versace purses. None of them have bank accounts. It says that they are clothed in greater than Solomon. Solomon, like in the Bible, that's like biblical code for, for like Hollywood movie star dressed to the nines. He's, they're beautiful. Consider the trees. I was thinking about this. We were in the West Side just the other day. And, and like the West Side right now, it's beautiful. Other than the rain, which is really not. But everything over there is red and orange and yellow and gold. Those trees are arrayed in their greatest splendor. And you know what? There is no purpose to it at all. Trees turning color serves no purpose other than beauty. The leaves are dying, and yet they're in glory, and God has clothed these trees in this beauty because he cares about them, and he cares for us. Why do we fear where our food is going to come from, or where, our, where we're going to get work? And you know, Consider all that God has done and how rich he is toward us, and how much more he loves you than a tree or a magpie or a flower. Life really doesn't consist of what we have. Life doesn't consist of our achievements. It doesn't consist of our, our, our goals or our bank accounts or our clothing. They don't make our way in life. The only way maker that there is is Jesus. God is rich toward you. God is not just rich toward you. This isn't a health wealth gospel. God isn't just rich toward you in, in health. He probably has been. And maybe right now you're experiencing lack, but he's rich toward you in presence because in the middle of your suffering, he is there. God is rich toward you in your finances. Some of us have been blessed beyond measure. Others of us are like wondering how I'm gonna pay the rent. Jesus isn't just rich toward us in, his, in how he allows finances to work in the kingdom, but he's rich toward us in being present with us in our wealth or in our lack. You guys following me here? This is like, this is like some mind-blowing things, right? Jesus is rich toward you. And what I love about this parable, what I absolutely love about this parable, is that it doesn't just give us new knowledge, right? Sometimes we come to church and we, we learn something. That's great. Learning something new. But this parable, and really his, his explanation of the parable, his application of the parable, it doesn't just leave us with new knowledge, it leaves us with a feeling, right? A feeling. Consider the magpies, those dumpy birds. God provides for them, and he loves them, and he loves you more. Consider the lilies of the field. They're beautiful. God loves them, but God loves you more. It leaves us with this feeling not of fear, not of wondering, not of care and concern, 
but of freedom. Of love, of being loved by the Father. Desperately and deeply. God's kingdom is rich toward you. Consider the lilies. It leaves you with a feeling of deep and abiding peace. And that is the peace that you can walk in that passes all understanding because your outside circumstances say it shouldn't be this way inside, and yet the God of peace lives in you. You're seeking his kingdom, and all of the things that we need in life will be added to us somehow, some way, sometime. God provides for every need. Lay your treasure up where it doesn't rust or get torn away or eaten by moths. Be rich toward God because God is rich toward you. So I want to ask you a question. We're going to sit for a moment in silence. And then I have the, at the end of that silence, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because I want to talk briefly about where worship comes into all this. Here's the question that I want you to ponder for just a minute. What does your anxiety tell you about your submission to Jesus? Now, this isn't a, good, this isn't a question for just right this minute because this is a question that you've got to think in every moment all week long because right now you're feeling peaceful. What does your anxiety tell you about your submission to Jesus? What place are you afraid to open up to God's rule and reign? What place is Jesus tender toward you, but you're closed? What does your anxiety tell you about your submission to Jesus? Let's just take a minute and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us on that. Last week at the end of the, the service, I, I went home after our kind of our time. And you know how I said that this parable gives us a feeling, a feeling of peace, a feeling of love. I went away with a feeling of out of control. Um, and, and it wasn't just like my own life. It felt like spiritually reading the temperature of the room. We're just out of control. Our culture is out of control. We're running out of control. We can't, our, our, our phones are in our faces. And we, we can't focus on Jesus for five minutes. And it's just out of control. Worship team, come up. Jesus this morning is calling, turn your eyes on me. Shift your focus. And the one thing that we can do to shift our focus in the midst of that feeling of out of control is to praise it's to praise God. Praise shifts our focus. We're going, God is good. I'm struggling. God is awesome. I'm sometimes not. God is rich in all things. I'm poor. We shift our focus to the things of heaven. We're seeking his kingdom. We're praising God in the midst of all of that. That's why worship, while our Sunday morning services, is so critically important. We don't come just to sing nice songs. Okay, These guys are really awesome. They really are. This is like one of the best worship teams that you'll ever experience. And you know what? They could care less how well they sound because their focus is on Jesus. Worship, praise, shifts our attention and shifts our focus off the things that are making us anxious and cared and concerns of life and shifting them onto the kingdom of heaven. So when you come on Sunday morning and you, in that Sunday morning before you got here, you were doing it right in a paper or you were studying, you were focusing, you come in here and what we do is we short circuit that whole cycle of anxiety. We're like, hey guys, look, don't look at your phone. Look at Jesus. Hey guys, don't look at your to-dos. Look at Jesus. Hey guys, don't look at the finances. Look at Jesus. And guess what? You can do that on Monday. And that's why we're going to sing this song again, because this song is stupid catchy. Okay, It's going to be stuck in your head. And tomorrow you're going to be at work, and you're going to be going, I raise a hallelujah 
in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. You guys want to do that with us? Let's do it right now. Let's just aim our attention and our focus on Jesus. I was in the right key. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Sing a little fast. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I'm gonna sing. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder. You're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. Come on, put your hands together. I raise a facing you in the face, right? You got a to-do list. And what are you going to do? I'm going to sing a little louder. Sing it out. Sing a little louder. I'm going to sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. I'm going to sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. I'm going to sing a little louder. Come on. Sing a little louder. Hope will arise. 
disbelief, God, we raise a hallelujah. In the place of our anxiety, we raise a hallelujah. Our God saves. Amen. We're going to send you out now in the grace of Jesus. I'm trying to come up with a, a blessing. I'm just all charged up inside this raising this hallelujah thing. So here's my charge to you. Tomorrow, when your to-do list comes up and it starts tugging on your sleeve, Raise a hallelujah. Tomorrow, when the bills are sitting in front of you, raise a hallelujah. Tomorrow, when your anxiety, whether it's a mental condition or it's caused by stress and worry, raise up a hallelujah. Knowing that you walk in the peace of the King of Peace, that you rest in the King of Rest, and that the God who has built and created the whole universe that owns it all is providing for you for everything you need seek first his kingdom seek first his kingdom and know that his love rests upon you that you are the object of his affection the apple of his eye no matter what you do or who you are no matter what you have or what you don't have jesus loves you and heidi and i are doing our very best to love you too and sometimes we blow it but we love you in jesus name Amen. Amen. So now what's going to happen tomorrow? That song's going to be in your head. And it may be the only I sing a hallelujah, but you got it. Here's your weapon. This spiritual warfare against anxiety. Raise a hallelujah. Go in the name of Jesus. We love you. Hey, we're going to have that meeting in the back space. So if you want to join us, and we're going to give it like...